Hey everybody, Randy Bolander here on the Third Cup of Coffee, and we have for you today the teaching from this Sunday at the Bridge. As I mentioned last week, we're going to be mixing around some other recordings and short-form podcasts during the week, but uh, this is uh, the full message from Sunday, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Once I read of a college professor who was speaking to college sophomores, and he asked them, no sophomores, okay, it's talking like 19, maybe 20. How many of you are already on plan B of life? At 19 or 20 years old, almost the entire class raised their hand. One of them yells, plan B, I'm on plan D already. We are so accustomed to having to adapt and recalibrate our plans that it's hard for us to imagine that maybe God is still on plan A for our lives. Like we have, we have had to make so many adjustments on the way, it's hard to understand that maybe this was his plan all along. This morning as we look at the Christmas story and redemption and what it all means to hope and to long for something, I want to impress you with the idea that Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. Ephesians 4 says, we were chosen in him before the foundations of the world. The provision for life, for success in the spirit, for walking with God was made from the very beginning and revealed in his son Jesus. If you go back 700 years before the birth of Jesus, there's a passage in Isaiah 7, 10 to 14. Against, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, for I will not put the Lord to a test. And he said, hear then. So this is Isaiah prophesying to him. Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And he makes this promise 700 years. Scholars who can't get their head around the idea that the Bible is inspired by the Lord have actually critiqued the book of Isaiah saying the prophecies are too accurate. Of course, if they weren't too accurate, they'd say the prophecies are inaccurate. Like if somebody doesn't want to believe, it's hard to argue with them. But they said 700 years before the birth of Christ, he prophesies, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Last week, we talked about the close of the Old Testament where Malachi prophesies that the hearts of the fathers return to the children, hearts of the children return to the fathers, and then for 400 years, it goes into the silent zone. And there is no revealed word of the Lord to the prophets and when the Lord starts speaking again in the New Testament, he begins to speak about a father and a son relationship. And he reveals what it is like. God preaches illustrated sermons. Anything he calls us to do, he has demonstrated along the way. Especially the idea of the heart of a father turning towards a child. And if you grew up feeling like you were not enough or you had a hard time being an encouragement to your own kids, if you missed that last week, I would encourage you to go back and visit that message in particular. I noticed at the close there were a lot of very tender hearts. And uh, I actually, I felt a, a significant amount of remorse that during, because of the schedule, we weren't able to, to really linger on that and pray for people. I didn't want to make that mistake this morning. I said to Daniel, why don't you just lead in prayer in the middle of the service because I know we're going to be pressed at the end. As the guy who does most of the preaching, what you need the most is not more preaching. 
You didn't have to amen that. So you could have let that go. There's <laughs> a, a little too much enthusiasm on that, Debbie. No, I'm saying we don't need more information. We need an encounter with the Lord. And that's why we took some time in the middle to do that. Next week in our Christmas series, we're going to be talking about the picture of the now and the not yet, how the kingdom has come, but it's not here in fullness yet. It is a, a phrase theologians have used for years. Jesus had this crazy thing. He said, the kingdom is within you, and then he referred to the kingdom to come. It's like, is it here? Is it not here? Yes, it's both. In Hebrews 2, 8 and 9, it says, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. In other words, not everything is bowing a knee. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. How do we reconcile the fact that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, yet not everything is in subjection to him? The kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not here in fullness yet. Just the same way that Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, and in Sunday school we sing, he's still working on me. Well, if it's finished, what's he doing? He's manifesting his kingdom in us to fullness. In light of that, the coming of Jesus at Christmas time is not the pinnacle of the coming of Jesus. He actually is coming back at the end of the age, and we're going to talk about that. Some of you are looking like, you're going to talk about the return of Jesus at Christmas. Yes, and I'm not the first person to do it. Isaac Watts, I don't know if you know this name or not, he was a prolific writer of hymns. Composer in the early 1700s, wrote over 750 different hymns. Now, Isaac was a nonconformist at the time. He did not yield to the ways of the Church of England, uh, like a lot of other famous people at the time. Because he was a nonconformist, he couldn't go to Oxford, he couldn't go to Cambridge. He literally attended a college called the Dissenting Academy. How'd you like to be the dean of students at the dissenting academy? You know you've got trouble. That was the, it was the main thing that they all coalesced around. But we would consider him establishment because what is more establishment than songs like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? That was his writing. Isaac Watts would have preached eschatology at Christmas time. He said, in fact, in these last days of the gospel, we are brought almost within sight of the kingdom of our Lord, yet we are very much unacquainted with the songs of the new Jerusalem and the unpracticed in the work of praise. He says, when we start talking about him coming in, in flesh and, and ruling on the earth, we don't even have songs for that. One of the songs that he wrote that you probably know the best that we will undoubtedly sing is Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Isaac Watts wrote that about the second coming of Jesus. We made it into a Christmas song. Go back, read verses three and four. It doesn't even fit with Christmas. It's millennial grade writing. Like it's all about the millennium. So we're gonna talk about the return of Jesus at Christmas time. I promise we'll throw baby Jesus in the manger. We'll get all of that in there. All of the things that the traditionalists long for, we will we'll cover all those bases. But this week, we're going to talk about Christmas and the idea of promise and expectation. We think of Christmas in the realm of fulfillment. But there is a lot of longing and lack in the story of Christmas. Just like there is agony and want baked into your own story, your story is not the only one that has desire that has yet been unfulfilled. 
we have all done without, and this morning we're going to talk about our heart's position when we do not have what we feel we've been promised. There are legitimate promises that the Lord has given you that might seem too extravagant to verbalize almost to the point where you are embarrassed talking about them anymore because you're guarding your heart in case it doesn't all come down. I want to challenge you. The promises the Lord has given you, ask for those boldly. Some of you know the name David Hogan. Uh, He's a missionary in Latin America. And uh, probably not, if you've never heard David Hogan, probably not what you're imagining. Am I right? Like, I think he might be related to Hulk Hogan. Like, I think there's some connection there. Imagine the Apostle Paul and Hulk Hogan together. He's a wild man. And he tells this story of early on in his ministry, they're maybe 10 or 15 years into it, and he's preaching the gospel up in these villages of Mexico that have never, nobody's ever gotten to before and and shared the gospel with. And he's walking up in the rainy season and into the mountains is about a five-hour hike and the rain is pouring down and he's pulling his boots out of the mud. He's afraid he's going to lose the boots. And he's walking up this trail and as he does, he hears this, this grinding behind him. And he looks over his shoulder, and there's a massive four-wheel drive truck coming, all rigged out, lockers on it, big wheels. It's making its way up through the mud. It's a beer truck. Beer gets delivered where the gospel cannot reach, okay? And as he stands there, he says, I fell down on my knees, and I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, it is not right that the beer truck delivery guy has a four-wheel drive truck, and I have to walk to preach the gospel. And that may sound like a crazy little demanding prayer, but I heard him tell this story 10 or 15 years later. He says, at this point, every year since then, someone different has come out of the blue and bought me a brand new four-wheel drive truck. And he had what he needed. The Lord puts longings in our heart, and they're longings that are related to his will on the earth. The Christmas season is full of those kind of longings. Longings in human hearts that are not just allowed by God, but they're actually inspired by God. Some of what you want, you want because God has put it in your heart to ask for. And you're embarrassed to ask because you you feel like somebody is asking you what you want for Christmas and you don't know them and you're asking, well, what's the budget? You know, you don't want to ask for too much. That said, not all waiting is equal. Is there any longing or desire like that that manifests itself in the waiting for a child? Some of you have waited for children. Some of you are still waiting. It's painful and it's hard. When Kelsey was carrying Jackson, our oldest, at times it felt like that pregnancy was 14 months long. Even though as a dad, when he's born, I'm like, well, that, didn't, that was quick. And Kelsey's like, no, it wasn't. You know, it's just different for mom than it is for dad. The story of Christmas involves waiting, not just of one family's waiting, but of two families, and every human heart to follow. Luke 1, 5 and 7. In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, one of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commands and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now Luke seems to go out of his way here to explain two things. He says, 
Elizabeth was a daughter of Aaron. Now, you look at the generations. She wasn't a daughter as in Aaron wasn't her father, but she was a descendant of Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses, the spokesman for, Mo for Moses, the one who literally said to Pharaoh, let my people go. That would have been the voice of Aaron. He was a voice crying out for freedom, even if Moses was the leader that led them to freedom. It's also interesting that in the Old Testament, Aaron had a wife named Elizabeth. It's close. Elizabeth. Countless generations later, one of their descendants, Elizabeth, would be charged with carrying a child, John the Baptist, who would be the voice crying out in the wilderness for the one who would come and lead them to freedom. Second thing he seems to accentuate here is that in addition to this prophetic buzz around Elizabeth and her name and her family, that they were well advanced in years and they had no child. They had waited a long time. The inference here is there had been longing. There was want. Who doesn't want a child? But it just hadn't happened. Perhaps so many years that the longing had subsided. If you've ever wanted something so badly it hurt, when it doesn't come to pass, you know that sometimes it's easier to quit wanting. It's easier to quit longing. And many people choose to surrender what they're longing for rather than dealing with that tension of not having it. Some of us have actually found peace with lack because it's easier than thinking about what we don't have that we think the Lord had promised to us. The hope that we had gained from wanting doesn't make up for the pain that we feel from lacking. I've got a friend named Kyle Payton. Kyle used to manage big boy restaurants before he went into ministry, so he is well-versed in total chaos, okay? Running a restaurant, I just can't imagine. It's not just about big boy, it just looks like, how would you do that? But I was traveling with Kevin one time and everything was going wrong that could go wrong. The vehicle broke down. It was just one thing after another. And Kevin told me, remember the Peyton family motto, success through lowered expectations. Now, that might be great advice for taking a large family on vacation, but it's a horrible advice for life. Don't ever lower your legitimate expectations of the promises of God because your current level of acquisition is not matching what you expect. Don't do that. It is not wrong to want something from God, even so bad that it hurts. It is better to hurt in relation to a promise from God than it is to numb the pain by surrendering and saying, I give up. In this case, Elizabeth and Zechariah are visited by angels who stir that longing again with a promise. It's not fulfilled at first, but it's reawakened. And it's not just awakened in Elizabeth, it's awakened in her husband. You see, this baby that was going to be born, John the Baptist, who would be a wild man for the gospel, was born to established people. These were not people who are unknown. This is not a teenage girl in a manger. These are people that are quite well known. His mother was a daughter of Aaron. His father was a priest. Zechariah was actually just getting to work one day when an angel appeared to him. Luke 1 eight and nine. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. I love that they never really explain this in the text, but this is like God winking at us, okay? He, he is chosen by lot 
to burn incense. There were three positions that would be chosen by lot every morning. Every, all the priests gather around. They go to the, you know, they got the little uh, uh, lotto bucket and they pull out a, a ping pong ball. And it's, if you've got that ping pong ball with the name, you get a job. And the three things that they chose every day were the one who would cleanse the altar and prepare the fire. Then there was another one who would kill the morning sacrifice or the sacrifice morning or evening and, and put it on the altar. And then there was the third one who would come and offer incense before the sacrifice. Now, no big deal. There's three, you know, he's got a 30% chance. No, he doesn't. There's 20,000 priests. Like, and of the three things that are chosen, if you got chosen to do the first one, you did it morning and night. If you got chosen to do the second one, you did morning and night. But this thing... This is only chosen once. You only do this in the morning. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So here he is at the pinnacle of his career, his opportunity. His golf ball gets called, and he's offering incense. Incense, of course, representative of the prayers of the saints and the petitions before the Lord throughout. He's standing there with the prayers in his hand, waving them. And in that role, as he offers the prayers of generations of people, Luke 1, 13 and 14, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. He's like, my prayers, I got a bucket full of them. These people have been praying for thousands of years for, deliverers, for a deliverer. He said, your prayer has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Suddenly, desire is unlocked. Dreams are unlocked. Now, John's not here yet. Like, he's making a promise again, but you can see Zachariah going, I've had promises before. Some of you are hesitant to even think about this because you've had promises before that, that haven't happened. And you're like, I'm not opening that can of worms. I don't, I don't even want to open my heart to that. What are the deeply stuffed desires of your heart that in the moment you said, I felt like that was the Lord and now I don't feel anything? Don't think small right now, think big. Zacharias struggled with this message. It felt like it was too good to be true. Even though he's got, they both have these angelic visits. Some of you have done this. The Lord has promised you things and you've argued with him almost to lower your own expectations. Luke 1, 18 and 19, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Can you imagine? An angel appears to him, tells him something. He's like, how will I know? It's going to take more than an angel. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's trying to be diplomatic. He didn't want to call her old as well. But he's like, let's be honest. We are beyond the age where this is likely to happen. If you told me this decades ago, I might have believed it, but... A lot of water under the bridge. I don't know if I believe this. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. Could have just stopped right there. Like, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to you to speak to you and bring good news. He's, I'm telling you, this is from the Lord and you will have a baby. And in just a few verses, there's another promise given to another woman, a family member of Elizabeth. If Elizabeth is giving birth to this prophetic voice that would declare the coming of the one who is the new Moses, her family member, Mary, is charged with an even bigger promise. Because if Elizabeth is giving birth to the 
son of Zechariah, Mary is told she's giving birth to the very son of God. And that child would be like the new Moses who led people to freedom. Jesus himself identified with Moses. John 5, 46 and 47. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how would you believe my words? He's like, guys, I am as much a part of the story as Moses was, and I will lead you to freedom, just as Moses led people to freedom centuries before. Jesus would lead Jew and Gentile into the fullness of knowing God. So for Elizabeth to realize that she was carrying Aaron was one thing, but her younger relative received an even more unbelievably prophetic promise. Luke 1, 35, and the angel answered her, speaking to Mary now, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called holy the son of God. Why did I share all these outlandish promises, even if they are realized? We all know how it ends, right? That's, you know, I mean, we all, we've heard Christmas stories over and over. We know where this is going. John the Baptist is born. He's a wild man that foreruns the story of Jesus. Jesus is born. He's crucified, raised from the dead for the salvation of the world. Why focus on the tension between the promises and it actually happening? That's not the fun part of this story. Anybody who's ever carried a child knows that's not the fun part of the story. Not waiting for salvation, but certainly waiting for the promises that God has given us to go with salvation is where we find ourselves. Some of you are stuck in a land with promises from God that you are distancing yourself from because it's easier to distance yourself from it than it is to stir up faith and belief. It has been easier for some of you to deny callings than it has been to live with the tension that the calling isn't fully realized yet. Some of you, as a young person, felt a call into a certain aspect of ministry from the Lord and the doors didn't open and you find yourself like, what do I do here? And it's easier to distance yourself from that calling than it is to wrestle with it. Don't shut down your longing for things to be right or whole in your life. It is important that you keep that alive because when you surrender that, you might comfort yourself for a minute, but you lose hope for a lifetime. You might feel better for a little bit, but you lose hope forever. One of my favorite people of 2021, I haven't decided for 2022 yet, it's not over. But for 2021, one of my favorite people on earth was Dr. Margaret Nagib. Now, you don't know Margaret. Maybe you do. I doubt you do. Margaret is a clinical psychologist and a deep woman of faith. And I was in a very difficult time just going through some significant anxiety. And Margaret talked me down off the ledge. I mean, she was a huge... Some of you, some of you are like, my pastor talked to a psychologist. Be glad. Okay, be glad. It could be worse. All right? Some of you are thinking, isn't Jesus enough? Jesus is enough. Jesus sent Margaret. Okay, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. But Margaret made this comment this week. She said, longing is a signpost designed to propel us towards wholeness. Longing, a desire for something, is a signpost to draw you towards what should be. And Margaret draws this really interesting distinction between lack and longing. Lack is what you do not have. Longing is what you deeply desire. It's what you want. 
You can actually make peace with lack in your life and shut down longing entirely. When lack becomes your identity, longing fades away. I'm telling you, you've got to get back to longing because longing is what propels you forward. Making peace with lack is like dying ahead of time. He is charging you to long for the things that he has put in your heart. Some of us have settled for lack. We've decided that what is is what will ever shall be and we've just got to make peace with it. Some of you have settled with the idea there will never be the necessary finances to maintain your household. Or you've settled for the idea you'll never have enough energy to do what the Lord's called you to do. Or there'll never be enough grace for you to find freedom from sin that besets you. And you just have to live with it. Or whatever. And you've just made peace with lack. He is saying, don't make peace with lack. Stir your heart with longing. Because when you long, you are propelled forward to what God has promised you. I want to declare war on lack through a warfare of longing. I don't want to make peace with the things I don't have that the Lord promises. Don't settle for lack and call it longing. Longing involves hope. And Christmas is both a picture of longing and of fulfillment. So my question to you is not what are you lacking, what are you longing for? Like what keeps you up at night? What causes you a little bit of pain because you don't have it and you felt like the Lord promised it? I'm gonna press into this for a second. Some of you go, at this point, nothing. And it's because you've actually given up. You've, you've released those longings. You just, I just lack. I'm just never gonna have those things. That is not God's will for your life. He wants to propel you with longing towards him. Jesus makes it really clear through the Sermon on the Mount, really it's the constitution for the kingdom of God, how it's gonna work. The rules of engagement on how he and the Father are gonna interact with people. That he responds to longing. He says, Matthew 5 and 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. He said, I will see what you are longing for, and I will grant the desires of your heart. Just those that are lacking, no promises made. It's longing. I want to ask if the band would come up for just a second. I want to transition here quickly because we're limited on time and I want to make sure that, that we have a moment to pray for people. Kelsey and I have joined, uh, enjoyed for a number of years uh, friendship with, with Dutch and Cece Sheets. They're just some incredibly dear people in our heart. And if you haven't read any of his books, Dutch has a great book on intercessory prayer and he's got a bunch of books that are just very small and easy to read. His favorite my favorite book of his is one on the pioneer spirit. It's like 67 pages long. You can read it in one setting. And it's not because he doesn't have something to say. It's that he is incredibly concise. You read sentences and you go back and you read that sentence again. And Dutch used this phrase to me one time, and I've, I've quoted it before, but he said this to me at a time when I was telling him about something we needed and we didn't have. We're sitting eating Mexican food and he puts his fork down and he says, Randy, the... Lord doesn't respond to lack. He responds to hunger. He said there are all kinds of lack in the kingdom. You go, you search all around the world. There are, are people that have lack and they love Jesus. And there are legitimate needs. 
But Jesus looks across the earth for those that are hungry and those that are longing. The Lord saw the longing of Elizabeth and Zechariah and he met that need. He saw the longing of creation for a savior and he met that need. What if the longing that he put in your heart that you have stuffed and you have tried to distance yourself from, what if that longing is actually part of his plan? What if it's his dream too? I wanna ask you this morning, what do you long for? What did he speak to you last week, a month ago, five years ago, that was a promise that kept you up at night that you have been tempted to distance yourself from because you can't live with the pain of it not being real, so you just live with lack. I wanna declare war on lack through a commitment to long for the things that he's promised us. Stand with me if you would. There are longings that you have at the deepest level. And some of you have been reminded of things that you haven't thought of in years. And you haven't thought of them as a defense mechanism because thinking about them hurts. I want to challenge you to think about them and long for them. Father, I ask right now that you would stir longings in this room. Longings for opportunity to share the gospel. Longings for a fullness of life in you. Longings for families reunited around tables. Longings for reconciliation. Longings for books that you have put in people's hearts to write that they gave up on. Longings for the freedom to be able to say something to someone and they haven't been able to find that freedom yet. Father, we call forth longings from people's heart right now. And we declare war on lack by embracing the longings that you put in our heart. Right now, some of you are feeling things stirred that you have allowed to just go by the wayside because it was easier to say we're old and we're not gonna have that baby at this point. That's not gonna happen anymore. He is stirring those longings in your heart. Holy Spirit, come right now. Holy Spirit, come. If the Lord has brought something to mind that he's challenging you to long for, we wanna pray for you right where you are right now. Just lift your hand high wherever you are. There's a longing in your heart right down front, there in the, in the very back, over here, over here, lots. Okay, Bridge family, look around. There's hands raised. The only crime right now is if no one is gonna be prayed for. Stand near people, step near them. If you don't know them, it's okay. Gently lay a hand on them. We wanna pray for them. There are longings in people's heart that he is stirring them with. So Father, we ask right now that you would minister to people whose hearts are being pricked. We say yes to the longings of the Lord and we say no to lack. We say yes to the longings of the Lord and no to lack.
If you're praying with someone right there, let them hear you. Just pray for them right where you are. If you're not praying for someone, just engage in worship. I want to build an altar here for a couple of minutes. Yes, Holy Spirit, come. forward into the story of God this morning.
this morning. We make room in our lives for your promises, and we long for the fullness of what you say over the bridge. We long for the fullness of what you say over families in our church family. We say yes, and we long for the fullness of your purposes in Kansas City. And we wage war on lack by believing you and trusting for more. Father, as we go this morning, I ask that you would haunt our hearts with your promises until we begin to long and ache that you would do what you said you would do, and then you would respond to longing in a way that you don't respond to lack. That when you turn your face towards this little building on Sunday mornings, or you turn your face towards our homes during the week, as we gather, if a small group gathers or prayer gathers or just in our families, that you would find people that are longing for you. We love you, Jesus. Stir our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. I want to ask if there's any paper or anything near your seats, if you could grab it. They've got a production of two. We want to make things as easy as possible for them. Thank you.